The Dreadful Silence of the Lord, taken from Jeremiah 44, verse 26. Therefore hear ye the word of the Lord, all Judah that dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I sworn by my great name, saith the Lord, that my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, The Lord lives. Here is contained in these words a very awful message from God by the prophet Jeremiah. And we may observe in the words, one, whose this message is sent to, namely, the remnant of the Jews that dwell in Egypt. Hear ye the word of the Lord, all Judah that dwell in Egypt. They were a small company that had been left in the land of Israel. After all the captivities and desolations that were brought upon that people that went down into Egypt, it had been the time of God's vengeance on the land of Israel. There had one wasting judgment after another followed them. They had one captivity after another, and one desolation after another, by the king of Babylon, till there were only some of the poor people left under Gedaliah, and after that many of them were destroyed by Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, and those few that were left after all those desolations left their own country and went down into Egypt, and those were they to whom the message in the text is sent. Number two. We may observe the awful message or threatening itself, namely that his name should no more be named in the mouth of any man of them, in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, The Lord lives, namely that they should no more worship the true God, but should worship idols. The thing that God makes the subject of his threatenings is her sin, namely the sin of forsaking the true God and continuing in idolatry. We find this same sin made the subject of God threatenings elsewhere as in Deuteronomy 4, verses 27 and 28. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and you shall be left to you in number among the heathen, where the Lord shall lead you. And there you shall serve God, so works of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. So Deuteronomy 28, verse 64, and also... In Jeremiah 16, verse 13, Therefore will I cast you out of this land, into a land you know not, neither ye nor your fathers, and there you shall serve other gods day and night. And it may be observed in the text, God here threatens the remains of Judah, not only that they should commit idolatry, but one, that he would wholly give them up to it, so that the name of the true God should not so much as be mentioned. Now they worshipped the true God in part, though they burnt incense to the Queen of Heaven. Yet, they pretended some respect to the God of Israel, but God threatens that they shall be wholly left to their idolatry, so as not so much as to have any face or appearance of the worship of the true God among them. Number two, that they should finally be given up to it. My name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, God threatened that they should continue in their idolatry finally as long as they lived and never should be reformed. Observe the reason of the threatening referred to in the word therefore, namely, their obstinacy and their rebellion and idolatry. The word therefore refers us to what was said in the foregoing verse, where we have an account how resolved and obstinate they were in their wickedness. Thus saith the Lord, therefore hear ye the word of the Lord. Their obstinacy and their wickedness was wonderful beyond expression. If we consider what warnings they had, in the first place they had the same warning, 
that the rest of the Jews had before the destruction of Jerusalem by the prophet. How much were the prophets in warning them to forsake their idols and serve the true God and in telling them their danger and what judgments God would bring upon them if they did. But yet, they continued obstinate. And then Nebuchadnezzar came up against Jerusalem in the days of Jehoiakim and took him and bound him in fetters of iron and carried him to Babylon and carried away the vessels of the house of the Lord. And now they see the judgments that the prophets had foretold fulfilled in part. But yet, they were obstinate and would not forsake their idolatry. And then God sent Nebuchadnezzar again to Jehoiachin's days, who took the city of Jerusalem and took the king and all the princes and all the principal men of the land and a greater part of the inhabitants of the land and pillaged the temple of Jerusalem of all of its treasure. But yet, they were obstinate and would not reform. And then God sent Nebuzaradan against them, who took the city of Jerusalem and took Zedekiah the king and slew his sons before his eyes and then put out his eyes and bound him in fetters of brass and burnt the king's house and house of the Lord and the whole city with fire and broke down the walls of Jerusalem and left none but some few of the poor sort. But yet those that were left were obstinate and persisted in their idolatry. Still, the judgments of God followed them. Those that were left, he left them to kill one and another. Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, was made the instrument of his ways, who killed Gedaliah and many others. There was a most remarkable hand of God against them, to consume them. But yet they were obstinate and persisted in their rebellion and idolatry. They came to Jeremiah to inquire of God for them, whether they shall go down into Egypt and promise to obey, let him command which way soever. But when they were forbidden to go, they go down into Egypt notwithstanding. And there they worship idols. And when God reproves them for it, by the prophet Jeremiah, they were so presumptuous as to answer that they were resolved that they would go on. Jeremiah 42, verse 17, But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goes forth out of our own mouth, to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings to her, as we have done. We and our fathers are kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, for then had we plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. And this is the reason that God threatens, as he does in the text, that he will finally give them up to the wickedness they were so obstinate in. After so many and so awful judgments, this was the last judgment and the greatest that was brought upon them. They are resolved that they would worship idols, and God is resolved that they shall too. Observe the manner of the threatenings, namely, with an oath. I have sworn by my great name, saith the Lord. God sworn his wrath that seeing they were so obstinate that now they never should reform, that they should worship idols and never name his name no more. They swore then they would commit idolatry. As tis said in the foregoing verse, they had vowed to perform their vows, and God swore that they should. Doctrine Sometimes when God has used many means with man to bring them to forsake their sins, and they will not forsake them, God does as it were swear in his wrath that they shall never forsake them. And speaking to this doctrine, I would first observe God oftentimes uses many means with wicked men to bring them to forsake their sins. 
Second, sometimes all has no effect. Third, when it is thus, God sometimes swears in his wrath that they never shall forsake their sins. Proposition 1. God oftentimes uses many means with wicked men to bring them to forsake their sins. This is what God declares in his word, that he has no pleasure in the death of a sinner, but that he should forsake his sins and live, Ezekiel 18, verse 23. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? And again in Ezekiel 18, verse 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Therefore turn yourselves and live ye. And Ezekiel 33:11, Dear God swears the same thing, says unto them, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, you house of Israel? Surely it would be horrid presumption in us to call this in question after God has sworn by his life to the truth of it. The same we are told in the New Testament by the Apostle 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 to 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. We will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is long-suffering to us, were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And therefore God appears in his providence, slow to wrath, and is wont to use many means with sinners to bring them to forsake their sins before he gives them up. Thus God's spirit strove long with the old world before he destroyed them. Genesis 6, verse 3. My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet... His days shall be an hundred and twenty years. For God sent Lot, to preacher of righteousness, to turn the inhabitants of Sodom from their sins before he destroyed them. So he did not destroy hard-hearted Pharaoh till he had used many means to make him willing to comply with his commands. So God did not destroy Jerusalem and Judah by Nebuchadnezzar till he long used means with them to turn them from their sins. Sending one prophet after another rising early and sending and using corrections and providential warnings and all manner of means. So Christ did not give up the Jews in his time to judicial blindness till he had used great means with them, often taught them, and warned them and wrought many and great miracles before them. And still God has wanted to be using many and great means with many wicked men to bring them to forsake their sins. He continues using means with them for a long time. He commands him to forsake their sins and uses the authority of a Lord and Sovereign. He makes glorious promises to them to win and draw them, promises them eternal honor and riches and pleasures. He denounces awful threatenings to their continuing in sin, threatenings of misery infinitely dreadful. He counsels and exhorts with the kindness of a friend, tells them of the advantages of a way of obedience and in much warning them tells them of the danger of going on in sin. Sometimes he corrects them for their sins that they may be made sick of them. He lays them under sore afflictions that they may see the ill consequences of sin and to bring them to more solemn and thoughtful. Sometimes he heaps mercies and good things upon them to draw them. And sometimes he takes away their neighbors by death. Sometimes he takes away persons in the midst of their youth to warn them. Sometimes he sets before them instances of sudden death. Sometimes God sets before them the dreadful effects of other men's sins. 
He causes him to see instances of the death of wicked men. He lays men on a deathbed in a Christless condition and in dreadful fear and terror and apprehension of approaching death to warn them to get ready for death. And sometimes he sets before them instances of the death of those that die in the Lord, to die comfortably and joyfully, and are willing to leave the world to whom death is no tear, and depart in a sweet peace and composure, to draw them to seek to get into a like happy state, that their last end may be like theirs. Besides the warning they have from the written and preached word and providence, they have many counsels and friendly reproofs from their godly friends and neighbors, and sometimes God gives them the warnings of dying persons that have their dying circumstances to enforce and give solemnity to their warnings, and sometimes God converts others of their neighbors and companions to give an example to stir them up, and sometimes he pours out his spirit on many round about them that they may be moved by it to seek salvation for themselves. And besides this, he from time to time moves in their consciences. They have a great deal of opposition from their consciences and going on in sin. Their consciences don't let them alone, but are often reproving them and chastising them. They have many inward goads and stinging reflections. God uses means to influence hope and many means to work upon fear and ingenuity and gratitude and upon all the natural principles and affections of the mind to bring them to forsake their sins. But, sometimes all has no effect upon men. They will not forsake their sins, notwithstanding. They have heard sermons so long that they are sermon-proof. They regard them little more than the blowing of the wind. They are so far from being brought by the many commands and counsels and warnings that they are only the more hardened. The longer they live under warnings, the more bold are they in sin. When they first set out in ways of sin, they were apt to be a little frightened sometimes, but they have got past all those things now. Some sins, when they practiced them at first, appeared with something of a frightful countenance to them, and when they committed them, it was with something of an awe upon their spirit. They had a little misgiving of heart, but now they don't boggle at it at all. They are used to it and don't mind it. Once a threatening of eternal damnation looked something awful to them, they were a little concerned about it, but they have gotten over it. They can hear the thunder of Mount Sinai and hear ministers tell about the fire and brimstone of hell and burning in hell forever, and such like, hours together, and not be moved at all. And for the promises of God's word, they have heard them till they have learned utterly to despise them. And they are got to that, that the most awful providence doesn't stir them. They make a light manner of the death of others. They can stand by others' bedsides and see them die, and not have any thoughts of forsaking their sins. They can hear of others being in horror upon a deathbed, and not have their quietness disturbed by it. They can hear dying men's warnings, and yet go on in their sins still. And if they have corrections and judgments brought upon them, they can hear them and remain obdurate under them. And if they see others turn from their sins and hear of conversion of others, they mind such things less than they used to. They are not much moved by it. And if God bestows mercies in his providence upon them, they have no gratitude to move them to think of rendering again to God according to the benefits received or of sinning against him. The less. And as for the reproofs of others, they have no other effect upon them but to make them angry. And nothing has any good effect upon them. 
dare a great deal more difficultly wrought upon than one of the heathen would be. Nothing convinces them. Nothing terrifies them. Nothing draws them or any way works upon them to cause them to forsake their sins. Proposition. When it is thus, God does oftentimes, as it were, swear in wrath that they never shall forsake their sins. For the right understanding of this, the following things may be observed first, negatively. It is not intended that God takes up any purpose or resolution in time that he did not purpose from all eternity. God is an unchangeable being, Malachi 3 verse 6. I am the Lord, I do not change. And therefore, there can be nothing new in God. And so no new purpose. Tis not with God as tis with men, who alter their purposes and come to new results upon occasion. This cannot be because the God knows all things from all eternity. Men alter their purposes because they know something new that they did not before, or things appear otherwise to them. Nor is it meant that God does by any positive influence hinder them from forsaking sin, does properly cause him to go on in sin, that would be to make God the author of sin, which it is impossible that he should be. But, second, positively, it is meant that God does utterly leave and suffer them to go on in sin without restraint. He used means to bring them to forsake their sins till at length he gives them up to sin. He withholds those influences without which they never will forsake their sins. He withholds restraints. He withholds convictions. He withholds those motions of spirit that shall cause consciences to resist and oppose them in their course of sin, and restrain them from them. He gives them up to such a hard heart, such a fixed stupidity and senselessness, that never anything shall have any effect upon them to cause them to forsake their sins till their dying day. We have several examples of this in the scripture besides that which we have an account of in the text. Thus were the children of Israel given up when they persisted in their lusting after so many means to reclaim them. God at length sworn his wrath that they were so obstinate and gave them up to their lust to go on in them until they died. Thus were the inhabitants of Jerusalem in Christ's time given up. Great means were used to reclaim them, but they went on in unbelief and in persecuting Christ. And they were given up to this sin of persecution, as is evident by comparing these two scriptures. Luke 19 verse 42 If you had known, even you, at least in this your day, the things which belong to your peace, but now they are hid from your eyes, Matthew 23, 32-34. Fill you up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents. You generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Therefore, behold, I send to you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. Some of them you shall kill and persecute. Luke 11.49 So it was with those in Romans 1.19-21. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as the eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Romans 1 verse 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, 
to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. God gives them up to their wickedness and does, as it were, resolve that they shall go on and sin finally and forever by giving them up to a senselessness of danger and by giving them up to a seared conscience. We read of some who were past feeling, who being past feeling have given themselves to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness, Ephesians 4 verse 19, whose consciences were seared with a hot iron, 1 Timothy 4 verse 2. He gives them up to a foolish, deluded, self-flattering spirit to presume upon mercy, to flatter themselves with hopes of time enough hereafter with vain presumption of long life, and so from time to time till sudden destruction comes upon them as travail on a woman with child. For Thessalonians 5.3, he gives them up to the power of Satan and to his temptations to be deluded and decoyed and led captive by him at his will, 2 Timothy 2.26, and so to be held in a snare, to be his captives and slaves all their days. He gives Satan the undisturbed possession of their souls to be very much under his command, that what the devil says they should believe, and when he calls they must go, and so to continue as long as they live. God ceases to take care of them, to preserve them from the snares of the world, but leaves them to be in such circumstances as shall be most prejudicial to their souls, such as have a tendency to harden them in sin and cause them to go on in it. He manifests his purpose in this to be unalterable, and I shall mention two things in which this appears, namely, one, that God prospers no person's endeavors to reclaim him from sin. Let one endeavor soever be used, if others are concerned about them and take pains with them to make them see the evil of their sins, and to bring them to forsake them, if they take the wisest and best methods that they can devise for that end, if pastors lay out themselves to their utmost, if they use their utmost skill and wisdom to awaken, to convince them to move upon fears or hopes on one principle or other, all is in vain. God prospers no endeavors that are used. Number two, refuses to hear any prayers for them. If to godly pray for them, God doesn't answer them in the thing they ask. Though they pray often and earnestly, though they are persons of eminent piety, none are heard. So it was with Israel. Jeremiah 15.1 Then the Lord said unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people cast them out of my sight, and let them go forth. And the prophet Jeremiah was forbidden to pray for them, because God had used so many means to make them to forsake their sins, and they refused. Jeremiah 7 verse 13, And now because you have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer. Jeremiah 7 verse 16, Therefore do not pray for this people, neither lift up a cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Application I would improve this doctrine to warn wicked men that they do not provoke God to deal thus with them. You, that are going on in ways of wickedness, take heed that you don't continue obstinate in wickedness under all the means that are used with you to bring you to forsake it. Bless, this be the end of it. You dwell in a land of light, 
and where God has used so many and great means with sinners to bring them to forsake their sins. Consider whether or not God has not used many means with you in particular. Has he not long borne with you, and waited upon you, and been, as it were, striving to bring you to abandon your ways of wickedness? And who can recount over all the means and endeavors that have been used with you by word and providence and spirit, by smiles and frowns, by the rod and cords of love, by means used outwardly in strivings of the spirit and conviction of conscience inwardly? Consider what great warnings you have had in particular in the way of God's ordinances and the preaching of the word. Have not you in times past been forewarned beyond most? so that few in the world would compare with you for privileges? Few have had such warnings, such means of awakening, such powerful arguments and persuasives, and so pressed and urged as you in some times past have had. If you were still going on in ways of allowed wickedness, there certainly is great danger of God's dealings with you, as he did with those in the text, namely, to swear that you shall never forsake your sins if he has not already done it. Let this be considered by those that are going on in ways of uncleanness to make a trade of gratifying their impure lusts in secret, and by all that live in the indulgence of any other inordinate sensual appetite, and by those that live and have long lived in ways of malice and hatred towards their neighbors and gratifying this abominable spirit in backbiting and reproaches and other like ways, and let it be considered by all that are living in contempt of the gospel and a willful and allowed neglect of Christ and his salvation. Consider the danger there is of God's being provoked to deal with you as he did with the remnant of the Jews in Egypt, to whom he swore as in a text. Here, consider how justly God might deal thus with you. Consider how just would it be, seeing that God has used so many means with you to bring you to forsake your sins. But all is in vain, that he should cease to strive with you any longer. How justly might he, for the time to come, let you alone, and say of you of Ephraim, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone, Hosea 4, verse 17. Seeing you have so horribly affronted God's mercy, and using so many means with you, how justly might he withdraw that mercy? Seeing you do as it were say to God when he warns you and counsels you that you will not hearken to him. You will not forsake your sins. How justly might God swear concerning you that you never shall forsake them, seeing that you are set upon your lusts against God. How justly might God swear in wrath that you shall have your own desire and shall walk in your own counsels, shall cleave to your lusts and never be parted from them. If God should finally give you up to your wickedness, he would but leave you to that which you yourself are set, and have been obstinate in, against long-using means to reclaim you. This judgment is a very terrible judgment, but, yet, it is a very just judgment that God sometimes inflicts on wicked men. Some have been finally given up to sin, that never have sinned so much as you, nor against so many means. Some that never have had so much wickedness, nor shown so much obstinacy as particularly those mentioned in Romans 1.24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, 
they were heathen that the apostle there speaks of. They never heard of the way of salvation, never enjoyed the ordinances of the gospel, their sin and wickedness never comparable to yours. For that is what we are often taught in scripture, that the heathen that live in darkness not provoke God ever so much as sinners under the light of the gospel. And they here mentioned never showed themselves a tenth part so obstinate as you. For though the apostle observes in Romans 1, 19 and 20, that they had means used with them, yet the means used with them were nothing in comparison of yours. They had only the light of nature, but you have had the light of the gospel. And if some have sinned more and under greater means before, they were given up, that is, no argument that you are not in danger. For God haven't limited himself to such a degree of wickedness and obstinacy inflicting this judgment, but uses his own sovereign pleasure. All that continue obstinate and wickedness when God is using means to reclaim them deserve it, and he lengthens out his forbearance according to his own sovereign pleasure. Consider in how many respects your case is parallel with theirs in the text. God's visible people lived in the enjoyment of God's ordinances of the gospel, and so a portion. They have had many warnings from God's messengers. They have often repeated them, took great pains to set danger before them, and yet they refused to hearken to any of them, but still went on forwardly in their obstinacy. They had many warnings in providence of an awful nature, calamities brought on Jerusalem by their obstinacy. So you see the death of others. Those calamities were repeated one after another on them. So warnings of providence were repeated to you. Afflictions were brought on them. Great judgments were brought on them. So with some of you, they were shown great mercies in being left behind when others were carried away, and yet they continued obstinate. So you continue obstinate. Still, Judah all heard the preaching of the prophet Jeremiah, continued warnings and offers of mercy. God told him by Jeremiah, Jeremiah 42, 10-12, If you will still abide in this land, will I build you and not pull you down, and I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I repent me of the evil that I have done to you. Be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. And I will show mercies to you, that he may have mercy on you, and cause you to return to your own land. But still they continued obstinate in wickedness. And so you continue obstinate. How much the most dreadful of all judgments this is. He that is thus obstinate will surely be damned. He that is finally given up to sin will never turn from sin. This is what God does, as it were, swear, that they shall never forsake their sins. And if they don't forsake their sins, they will surely perish. And it will be much more awful than present damnation for them. A man had better spend a time in hell than on earth after he is once a subject of this judgment. He lives only to fill up the measure of his father to grow ripe for hell, for a greater and more dreadful punishment. Yea, a man had better spend a thousand years in hell than one upon earth in such a condition. A thousand years of misery would have an end, but that vast increase of misery that a man procures to himself by living one year longer after he is given up to sin will have no end. They that are the subject of this judgment are the most remarkable and awful monuments of God's vengeance of any in the world, more than many damned spirits that are now in hell. If ye go on still in willful sin, you know not how soon this will be your case. 
You don't know how soon you will be given up. You don't know how soon God will swear in his wrath that you never will forsake your sins. You don't know, but if you only willfully and deliberately commit one more act of your former wickedness, you don't know how near God's patience is spent. Your next act may be the last that God will bear with patience. It would be most imprudent if you should for 10,000 worlds venture to commit one more sin. Jonathan Edwards